Podcast. Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. As we look at Numbers chapter 14 together, I want to remind you of what we studied in Numbers 13. See, 12 spies went into the promised land for 40 days, and they went all over Israel. Ten came back and said that taking the land would be impossible. The people were too big. The cities were built too well. There's no way the people would be able to overtake the inhabitants, right? That's, that's what they said. Two of the spies disagreed. Caleb and Joshua thought it would be possible to take the land. After all, God's on their side, right? So whose report would the spies believe? Would they believe the 10 spies that say, say, no, it's impossible, there's no way we can overtake the land? Or would they believe Caleb and Joshua that reminded them, you know, God said he would be on our side? Well, let's start together by reading a few verses at the beginning of Numbers 14, and we'll see our answer pretty quickly. Starting in verse 1, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So, it was very evident right off the bat, the people believed the 10 spies that had said it was impossible. It says they cried and they wept. They cried and they wept. Let me ask you a question. Did God ever promise that taking the land would be easy? Did you ever see where God said, you know what, guys? I'm going to give you the land, and what I'm going to do is wipe out all of the people living in it. You're just going to waltz right in there and take the land. No. But for some reason, the people thought it would just be a cakewalk to take the land. And when they found out it was going to be a difficult task, it says they cried and wept. How could you, God? Didn't you tell us to take the promised land, God? Why didn't you wipe out those people so that we could just obey you? And I don't know if this hits home with you, but it really does for me. Just because God calls us, just because God calls us to a task doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy. And I've found a lot of times the task God gives me have been difficult. And I think there's a reason for that. If you turn to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, we read that Paul is crying out to God to take away his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember what God told him? God says this, my grace 
is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And if you continue reading, Paul goes on to say that it's through the hard times that others will see the power of Christ. So if it's in the hard times that others are going to see God's power, why on earth would he make everything easy? And in this story, we see the Israelites wept because they, they didn't trust God to fight their battles for them. And if they would have, everyone would have seen the power of God. Verse 2 says the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It's almost as if they didn't learn their lesson that we, we, we talked about in Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron grumbled against Moses. You remember that? And we've got to be really careful, we talked about in that lesson, that not to grumble against the leaders God has given us. God takes that seriously. He runs to the defense of his servants. And I just imagine there are some among the Israelites that, that said something like, you know what, I'm going to follow God, but I don't really like how Moses and Aaron are leading us. The problem is you can't divorce the two. Moses and Aaron were placed in leadership by God himself. And so a rebellion against Moses and a rebellion against Aaron meant that you are rebelling against God. Moses and Aaron knew that. See, in verse 9 of Numbers 14, we read, only do not rebel against the Lord. And if you're there and you're rebelling, you're probably saying, I'm not rebelling against the Lord, guys. I'm rebelling against you. You're the terrible leaders, not God. I'm rebelling against you. You can't divorce the two. Moses and Aaron knew that. They knew they were given a job by God. And when the people rebelled, they said, hold on, people. Don't rebel against God. Well, maybe that was the view of, of, of Moses and Aaron, but how did God view the rebellion? Look at verse 11 with me. How long, this is God, how long will these people spurn me? or reject me, it says in other translations. See, when the people rejected the leaders God had given them, they were rejecting God himself. So be careful grumbling against the leaders God has given you. Because God views that. And he says, you know what? Then you're rebelling against me. The Israelites complain once again about being led into the desert. We've talked about this. Oh, why couldn't we have just died in Egypt, right? We talked about this in a previous podcast. Egypt is full of tombs. That's what it's known for is death. So why would you bring us all the way over here to die when we had all, what, were there not enough tombs in Egypt, right? It'd have been a lot easier if we just died there. So they decide it would be better to return to Egypt. 
See, understand, that's what rebellion against God looks like. You don't even think straight. How on earth could they think the life they had in Egypt of oppression and slavery would be better than walking hand in hand with God himself into this promised land flowing with milk and honey? How could they think it would be better? But see, that's what rebellion does to our mind. It turns our world upside down. Look at their solution in verse four. It says, so they said to one another, so first off, they weren't talking to God. They weren't talking to their leaders. They're deciding to talk amongst themselves. And here's what they said. Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Let us appoint a leader, not God. Let's not ask God his will in this situation. God got us here in the first place by giving us these terrible leaders. So let us pick ourselves a leader. In our core, we are so self-centered. See, at this point, the people weren't even considering the Lord in any decision they were making. Their solution is, oh, we can do this ourselves. So let's talk amongst ourselves and let's pick our own leader and let's go back to where we want to go. And as we continue looking at, at Numbers 14, I want you to recognize the leadership acted appropriately. It says that they fell on their faces in verse five. Let me just tell you, the leaders responded the absolute right way during this rebellion. Joshua and Caleb step in and they plead with the people to follow the Lord. Look at verse nine with me. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Here's what he says. If the Lord is pleased with us. If the Lord is pleased with us. Does rebellion please God? No. Trusting God pleases him. Faith pleases him. Belief pleases him. Commitment pleases him. Rebellion never pleases God. And understand, at our very core, our flesh is fighting this rebellion. And we've got to watch that. Look at verse 10 with me. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them in the tent of meeting and to all the sons of Israel. The people at this point wanted no part in following the Lord. As a matter of fact, it says they picked up stones and they were wanting to stone them. And it's at this point, God himself shows up. Remember, Numbers 12, God runs to the defense of his servants. And the text says that God speaks to Moses. Now, why not all the people? Why only Moses? Why didn't he use his God voice and say, here I am? Why did he not do that? Well, let me, let me put it like this. 
I think at this point, the people were really overhearing God's preferences, right? They're in full rebellion mode. You ever been there? If you have, you know that the last person you want to talk to in full rebellion mode is the Lord. Uh, You don't want to have quiet times. You don't want to pray. You you don't want to go to church. And as God speaks to Moses, you can hear the heartbreak in his voice about the people being in this rebellious mode. How long will my people reject me? I've done everything I can to show them who I am, and they still don't want me. But then God has a thought. You know what? I'm just going to kill all of Israel. And Moses, I am going to use you, and you're going to become a great nation, you see in verse 12. And you may think, how on earth could God do this to his people? But understand, this is exactly what the people were wanting. Look back at verse 2. They were wanting to die in the desert. They didn't want to follow God anymore. They were tired of following him. So how would God fulfill his promise to give his people the promised land if he did this solution? He said, Moses, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your descendants. I'm still going to be true to my word. We're still going to inherit the promised land, but I'm going to use you to do it. Now, what did Moses think about this plan? And I'll just tell you, put yourself in his shoes. Here he is leading the people, and all the people are doing is are complaining and complaining and grumbling and saying, you don't know anything, Moses. And then God comes to him and say, you know what? Let's wipe all them off. All they do is complain anyway. And Moses, I'm going to use you and I'm going to fulfill my plan through you. If I were Moses, oh my goodness, how tempting would it be to say, yes, God, finally, I'm so tired of these people. Let's do it. Is that what he does? No, no. Look with me. At verses 13 through 19, we're not going to read them right here, but in these verses, Moses pleads on behalf of the Israelites, but he does it in three ways. The first thing he does is he appeals to who God is, his reputation. The Egyptians are going to hear about this, Lord. If you wipe all of us out, all of Israel out, they're going to hear about it. And why would they ever follow you if you wipe us clean, God? And understand their culture. When you have two people groups going up against one another, whoever wins, their God is their greater God. What happens if that God wipes everybody out? Who would want to follow that God? So the first thing Moses appeals to is God's reputation. Don't do this for your namesake. Next, Moses appeals to the intimacy God has had with his people, right? God has been in their midst. God has has led them, right? Both day and night. That's where God's been is with his people. And he said, you have an intimacy with us. Don't wipe us out. We know you love us. And the last thing Moses appeals to is God's character. God, you are slow to anger. Let me remind you of who you are, God. You are abounding in love. 
God, you forgive sin. You forgive rebellion. That's who you are. And for some reason, in Christian circles, we often think that the God of the Old Testament is a God that's full of wrath and destruction. And then we turn around and say, but the God of the New Testament, oh my goodness, he's full of mercy and hope because of Jesus Christ. Well, understand, Moses' understanding way back in the book of Numbers is that God's character is full of mercy is full of hope, not wrath and destruction. God did not suddenly change of being a God full of wrath and destruction. And we get to the New Testament and he just is completely different, full of grace and mercy and love. No, Moses appeals to the character of God way back in the book of Numbers and says, you are full of mercy. You are full of of hope and of love and of forgiveness. That's who God is in his core. Did God listen to Moses as he appealed to him? Did Moses' opinion in this situation even matter? Look at verse 20, Numbers 14, verse 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. Do you see how big this is? Stop and think about what just happened. God had a plan. I'm going to wipe out all of Israel. And that plan was just. They asked for it. They were full of rebellion. Moses pleads on behalf of the people for grace. And God sided with Moses. He forgave the people. Did they deserve it? No. None of us deserve his forgiveness. At our heart, we are all rebels, just like the Israelites. How sweet it is that God forgives us. How sweet it is that God forgave Israel for this rebellion. And how amazing is it that Moses' prayer mattered. God tells Moses, I have forgiven Israel According to your word. His prayer mattered. Prayer is not a game. If Moses had not have prayed for the people, understand God's plan would have gone into effect. Do you understand how big this is? The entire fate of history was changed by one prayer from a servant of God. So how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Do you believe this? Do you believe that what you say matters to the God of the universe? Do you cry out to him? Your prayer matters. And it mattered, Moses' prayer mattered to God. And your prayers matter to him too. Now, here's the thing. There were still consequences for the unbelief of the Israelites. Yet God forgave them, but every action has consequences. So so God says none of them would enter the promised land. Well, maybe there would be a couple exceptions. Look at verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he he has had a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. 
Over the past several years, I will tell you this, God has hammered me about what it means to be a servant. And he's still having to teach me. I don't have it all down. I I know that. But I must admit, when I became a Christian, I never knew that being a servant was part of what I was signing up for. It is, though. If you follow Christ, you are called to be a servant. Throughout scriptures, that's what followers of Jesus are called. So if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to be a servant. In Numbers 12, we looked at a few descriptions of a servant as the Lord described Moses. And I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to that podcast, you need to go back and listen to that. But you see, Moses, we talked about this. He was humble, he was faithful, and he had the proper view of God. And we discussed, you cannot be a servant if you're not humble. You cannot be a servant if you're not faithful, and you cannot be a servant if you don't have the correct view of who God is. Those are fundamental of servants. But as we look at the life of Caleb, God gives us a few more descriptions of what it means to be a servant. So that that verse, verse 24, we see that Caleb had a different spirit. A servant always has a different spirit. Other than Joshua and Caleb, every other spy feared taking the land God had promised his people. But it says Caleb had a different spirit. He wasn't scared. He trusted God. He had a different spirit than the other spies. Now, to be a servant of Jesus, I must have a different spirit. I must have a different spirit. Thankfully, God is faithful to give each believer the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, he gave you all of the Holy Spirit you will ever get. It's a he, not an it. He did not withhold an arm or a leg from you of the Holy Spirit. You got all of him. And the question is, are you truly trusting the Holy Spirit? You have all of him. How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? What are you withholding from God and saying, no, that's mine. You can't have that, God. Are you relying on your fleshly spirit or the Holy Spirit? Because to be a servant means that we must rely on the Holy Spirit, not our fleshly spirit. So that's the first thing about a servant is that you have a different spirit The second thing about a servant is a servant follows him fully. That's what Caleb did. It says, he has followed me fully. He followed the Lord fully. The word fully, that Hebrew word, means to fill to the limit or to act wholeheartedly. So unlike those uh, 10 other spies who followed their own plans and were struck down, we're going to see that in verses 40 to 45. Caleb followed the Lord with his heart in everything. And that's what a servant does. To be a servant of Jesus, we must follow him with all of our heart. And if we follow our own plans, they're only going to lead to destruction. Are you a servant? 
Are you following the Lord with everything you have? The third thing about a servant, and this is so big. See, our text says that God would bring into the land which Caleb had entered his descendants. And Caleb's descendants will take possession of it. See, not only did Caleb benefit from his obedience, but all those after Caleb, all of those coming in his downline also benefited by his obedience. A servant of Jesus puts his descendants in line for benefits rather than curses. See, I've got to get this right. I have four children watching everything I do. They need to see that I'm a servant. And it's not just for my sake. It's for my kids' sake and their kids' sake and their kids' sake. See, my life matters. The way I live my life matters. Being obedient to the Lord matters. And not just for me. Am I truly living for the Lord with everything I have? Am I a servant? Now, verses 26 through 35 of this chapter, God lays down the full punishment for rebellion of the people. Any 20, any person is 20 years old and young and, and older would die in the wilderness. But, but, but make no mistake, that's exactly what they asked for in verse 2. God's just given them the desire of their heart, right? That's, that's, that's what he did. Caleb and Joshua would be the lone exceptions. See, not even Moses and Aaron, the leaders, would enter the promised land. And you may say, why? Well, remember, we talked about this in a previous podcast. Mo- Moses had blame for this event, right? In Numbers 13, we talked about how it wasn't really God's preferred will to send these spies into the land in the first place. That idea came from the people, and Moses agreed with the people rather than obeying the Lord. Now, I love, as you read the story, the location that God gives Caleb. Do you know where Caleb and his family eventually settled in the promised land? You have to go to a different text to see it, but in Joshua chapters 14 and 15, and in Judges chapter 1, we we see that Caleb settled in the land of Hebron. We mentioned Hebron previously. What What was Hebron? Well, Numbers 13, 22, Hebron was the location of the descendants of Anak those giants. Do you think it was an accident that one of the only people that trusted God to to, to defeat the giants was given the land of the giants? And and by the way, it's in that very same land around Hebron that they they brought back the cluster of grapes after spying the land. See, Hebron is prime real estate. It's on the Via Maris, the, 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 the route there that's the trade route. 
It has the perfect climate for fruit trees and vineyards. And as part of Caleb's obedience, God took care of it. God showed what the world, what it looks like to trust him. That, okay, Caleb, you say that you can defeat the descendants of Anak. Well, okay, I'm going to give you that land. And him and his descendants do it. Not only that, it's the choice. It, it is great, great land. God takes care of his people that obey and trust him. Now, not only would everyone 20 years old and older die in the desert for their rebellion, God says their children would be shepherds for 40 years. One year for each day the spies went into the promised land. That southern part of Israel is intense. It is hot, almost no shade, even less water. And for 40 years, the descendants paid the price as they had to be shepherds in that land. Verses 36 to 38, as we're going to wrap up this chapter together. The 10 unbelieving spies were killed on the spot. We already talked about that. Finally, God got the attention of the Israelites. So what did they do at the end of the chapter? In verses 39 to 45, it says the people mourned greatly. And they decided to finally obey what the Lord had told them to do in the first place. It says, in the morning, we will get up and go into the promised land. (laughs) Moses knew that was a terrible idea. Read the story. Moses was like, you know what? God's not going to be with you, and neither am I. You're just going to die. Guess what? The people got up and did it anyway. Look back in verse 25. What should they have been doing that, that, that very day they got up? What should they have been doing? Verse 25. Now the uh, Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow, that's the day we're talking about, set out into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. They're supposed to go south by way of the Red Sea. They're supposed to leave this place. And instead they get up, they go the exact opposite way. They go to the north. They disobeyed God once again by going in the opposite direction they were supposed to. And what's so odd, they didn't trust God to defeat the enemies when he was with them. But now that God wasn't with them, they thought they could do it in their own strength. How ridiculous is that? They were wrong. They got defeated. Believer, do you understand how important it is to walk with the Lord hand in hand, day by day, and to allow Him to fight the battles for you? You can't do the things He asks you to do in your own strength and in your own timing. You have to allow him to fight your battles for you. But when he does, it's a testimony to all those around you of how powerful he is and how amazing the God we serve is. But you know what? You got to do it in his timing, not your own. That was their mistake. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So let me ask you, are you a servant 
of Jesus Christ. God's given you the Holy Spirit if you've accepted him. Do you rely on that spirit or do you trust in your fleshly spirit? Secondly, a servant follows the Lord with everything he or she has. He he relies with his whole weight on the Lord and not his own strength. Can you say right now you are following him with everything you have? Third, Understand future generations are at stake. You have people coming behind you. Your obedience matters. It's not just for your sake you need to get this right. Just one more closing thought. Let me ask you once again, how is your prayer life? You see, Moses' prayer changed the whole course of history. Maybe you're in a spot right now where you feel like your prayers aren't reaching any farther than the ceiling. Maybe you need to examine where you are in your walk with Christ. Because here's the thing. When you're a servant and you're pursuing him with everything you have, God says, oh man, you are my child. Oh, I want to listen to you and I love you. And and your prayer matters. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast of Arbel Ministries. I I would encourage you to reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns. My Twitter handle handle is Arbel Ministries, uh, at Arbel Ministries. My email address is arbelministries at gmail.com. Oh, there's so much in our text, and I can't wait to spend more time with you looking into it. Thanks for listening. Look forward to talking with you again later.